This episode of Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. Where, Chris, there is a lot to talk about, one of which is the fact that Mother's Day is right around the corner, and I've been harping on this for some time, harping in the best way possible that the uh, floral department at your local Zupan's is a great way to take care of the loved ones in your life. So celebrate mom this Mother's Day with a floral bouquet from your local Zupan's. Why not cook mom a great recipe? Spring recipes available to you on the Zupan's website, whether that be honey cardamom carrots, roasted potato veggie salad, spring pea salad, uh, so many great things. Oh, here's an idea for you for mother. Do you call your mom mother? Uh, how about a wine tasting event? Send mom to a wine tasting event. And there's a bunch of them happening in the month of May at your local Zupans. Hop online, Zupans.com. Find all about uh, the uh, one that you might be interested in. There's a bunch of them taking place. And then, of course, while you're there, be sure to sign up for the news feed. You'll be uh, served fairly regular emails that tell you what's on sale, what's happening, great recipes. Uh, for example, fresh steel head fillets on sale carlton farms boneless pork chops local asparagus and more that's what's on sale right now through the 9th of may but uh, you can find out all of this for yourself and then of course don't forget private dining available at the cellar z in both uh, lake oswego and burnside hidden gems one of the most unique private dining rooms uh, they do events there but you can also Book the space yourself. So get all the details on the website, zoopans.com. And you can find Zoopans at West Burnside, McAdam, and a great store in Lake Oswego, in addition to zoopans.com. All right, here it is. Time once again. It is Portland's Food Scene Podcast, typically with Chris Angeles from Portland Food Adventures. Uh, I'm your co-host, Court Johnson. Chris, uh, out of the country as we speak in Spain, doing his international Portland Food Adventures with a great group of people and the good folks from over at Erdneta. So Chris not here, which is why I get to step in. If you've followed the podcast long enough, you know that this is where I come in and, and do my best attempt at a, a good interview. And I got to say, today's guest made this interview super easy. I love this conversation. We could have gone in 20 different directions at different points. But Rodrigo Baena a favela Brazilian cafe is a treasure. Uh, we are so lucky to have him here in the Portland community. Uh, I think everything that he's doing, not just for the Brazilian community, which is where he comes from Brazil, but his attempt to really just say, this is a community uh, focus that he wants to do. He wants to make his community better. So uh, we're going to have a great conversation or you're going to hear a great conversation. And I already had it uh, with Rodrigo uh, who opened up favela back in 2019 with his wife, Dunya. Um, it's out there in uh, Southeast Southeast foster 5,300 Southeast foster. That was the original location. They are still there. They've expanded a little bit. It sounds like they've opened up a second location, 5441 Southeast Belmont. Um, and then they've also got a uh, mobile truck, a truck that goes around to different events, but definitely has been a journey for Rodrigo. Um, we're going to talk about that. You're going to hear about his journey from Brazil, why he goes to England, ends up in Italy, detours a little bit into India, and then eventually shows up here in Portland 12 years ago. And back in 2019, as I mentioned, along with his wife, Dunya, they create and open Favela Brazilian Cafe. So um, a wonderful conversation. Again, I wish it could have been longer. Uh, definitely we'll need to have um, Rodrigo back. But do yourself a favor. Look up the different events they have going on and swing by Favela. You can go to favelabraziliancafe.com for addresses. Um, also, the different events that are going on there, and uh, I would highly recommend it, and I'd highly recommend you listen to this podcast, and if you do enjoy this podcast, something we encourage you to do is share it with uh, people in your life that you think would enjoy a good uh, good podcast, a good listen. Um, you can also go on and subscribe to the podcast and give us a review if you feel so inclined. But here he is, Rodrigo Baena of Favela Brazilian Cafe. Right at the Fork is brought to you by Zupan's Markets. 
unsurpassed quality from the best meats and wines to local baked goods, fresh flowers, and an extensive craft beer selection. Step into Zupan's and be inspired for your next meal. Food-loving customers and local chefs know that Zupan's is the place to find the very best Northwest Bounty in Portland, West Burnside, McAdam, and Lake Oswego. Local and family-owned for over 40 years. Zupan's Markets. Ringside Steakhouse. For over 78 years, Ringside has been providing the best steaks and has been the home of the beacon of great hospitality in Portland. Make a reservation today at ringsidesteakhouse.com. And while you're there, sign up for their mailing list to be the first to find out about exciting specials and events going on at Portland's beloved Hallmark restaurant, Ringside Steakhouse. Portland Food Adventures. It's your opportunity to travel to the world's most celebrated food destinations with Right at the Fork host, Chris Angeles, and some of his favorite chef friends. Check out PortlandFoodAdventures.com for exciting and delicious itineraries to Spain, Italy, and elsewhere. Stay in great hotels, eat incredible food, and leave the planning to Portland Food Adventures. And by... In Oregon, flavor is not just about food, but about character, freshness, and sustaining this beautiful place. Our fishermen continue to work hard to bring that flavor to all families who care about good food and healthy eating. Oregon Dungeness Crab, the flavor of Oregon. There's so much that I want to talk to you about, um, about Favela. Actually, I should do this first, and I should have done this off the air, but I'm going to do it here with everybody listening. How do I pronounce your last name so that I sound <laughs> intelligent? Sure. Baena. 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 Yes. Okay. So, Rodrigo Baena, you are the uh, co-owner of Favela Brazilian Cafe, which has been around for, what, going on almost four years? Four years plus? Almost four years, yeah. I mean, in terms of opening the cafe, almost four years. Since we rented the space more than four years, because it took us a while to get the permits and everything, so... Yeah. And when you say we, that's along with your uh, partner. Me and my wife. Yeah, Dunya. So almost four years. Uh, that's something I really want to talk about is uh, the process of getting, you know, licensed and whatnot in Portland. What, you know, so almost four years. How long was Favela in the works? How long had you been working on it until you could actually open the doors and let people in? Well, the, we started renting the space from January 2019, and the permits took us eight months. Okay. And every week, it was a night, little nightmare. At the end, everything worked out well. The city that was you know, giving us a hard time, it was the same city that gave us a grant through one of the programs to open the cafe. So it's kind okay. of balanced out, but uh, it, was, it took eight months, more than New York. I learned it after longer. So eventually, every week, this lady... Uh, that works there, she would give every week something else to do, you know, like, oh, this week that is this, and we'll do it. It's like, oh, I forgot about this. So she would do, instead of telling us everything at once, she'll give one by one. Eventually, I have a business coach and mentor, and we were talking about, and we came to a conclusion, like, I wonder that's happening because the city don't want to work or because I'm not from here. So eventually, I played the card, and I, I asked her, like, it's been, that's been, you know, longer than than normally, and I was wondering that's happening because I'm not from here. If that's the case, I need to talk to the mayor's office. And I had a connection already. Sure enough, the following week, things showed up <laughs> and we got the permit, you know. So, yeah. Amazing how that happens if you know the, know the right people or say the right things. But I can only imagine um, the, the frustration that might have been part of that process. Because, again, you said you started renting the space in January but couldn't uh, open the doors for eight months. Right. Right, yeah. and it wasn't like a from our side. Like we built the place in two months, mm -hmm. like I, just the permit because we put plumbing, electrical, and everything. And we transformed the place where it wasn't a cafe or restaurant before in two months. But their side of the story was so dragging. And uh, at the end, we learned someone that I know that worked inside of the city back then said that everybody got a word that they supposed to work slowly because there was nothing, no much going on. So the staff got kind of a recommended to work slowly so people wouldn't get fired. No, they, they had work to do kind of thing. And I was oh. like, oh, man. Yeah. It's one of those things. Yeah. It's one of those things. You know, yeah. But. Very interesting. Well, I think we kind of uh, uh, – I've gotten – us a little ahead of ourselves because we're, t we're talking about, you know, the creation of Favela back in 2019, but your story probably starts w way, way, way before this, obviously Favela Brazilian Cafe. So you are from, I'm assuming 
Brazil. How did you know? <laughs> wild shot. So let's let's go let's go back. So where did where did you grow up? I grew up in São Paulo, Brazil, which is southeast, the biggest uh, city in Latin America in terms mm-hmm. of you know size and also finance. Even in Brazil, is where the the money is concentrated in in Brazil. So Rio and São Paulo are the most known places in Brazil. Although there are so many other beautiful places, but I come from this big city, twenty million people. Grew up, born and raised there, grew up there. When I was about 21, 22, I moved to England uh, for the first time. And the idea was uh, to learn English. I thought, you know what? I was working in a bank. I was bored. My relationship, everything was a little boring (laughs) back then. And I said, you know, I need to get out to learn a different language and get to know a different culture. So I went to England to stay for six months. Ended up staying for eight years there. It was the longest six months ever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. What, what what did you do in, in England? Were you in baking as well or were, what were you doing there? No, actually, I started, well, from Brazil, by the way, when I left Brazil, I didn't know how to cook a rice, like a nothing, maybe microwave popcorn. And that's, yeah. you know, young, you know, young boy, I lived with my parents and everything was, it was pretty comfortable. So I didn't learn anything uh, about cooking. So I went to England and my first thing I started doing there was like uh, taking photos. I was a photographer. Uh, so I had a studio that I shared with a friend. And I moved to Oxford in England. And in Oxford, that's when I started working in cafes. And I worked in this beautiful place called Magic Cafe, which was a vegetarian cafe in Oxford. And it was a kind of a community neighborhood. A lot of what we do at the favela today is highly influenced by this place that doesn't does not exist anymore. But the owner was a lovely person that taught me, you know, how to cook everybody. It was a kind of a community thing that everybody used to come and prepare and cook together. And then we serve together. And then we clean together. Mm-hmm. It was a very team effort, very family oriented. The neighbors, you know, everybody knew us. The mayor of the, the town of Oxford used to come there often. So it was a very beautiful community cafe kind of thing. And I, I, I know now analyzing the cafe that I have so many influence from that time. But that's when I started learning and realized I actually love cooking. <laughs> that's when I started cooking and learning. Was this a was this a Brazilian cafe or was this just a, a no, just like the neighborhood the neighborhood it was cafe? A neighborhood vegetarian. And it's funny because I'm not even vegetarian, but for those two years I was there, I was vegetarian. I didn't even realize, you know, oh. just because I was eating there every day. But it was an English fella. There was a chef and the owner. And there was a bunch of international people working there. Like my best friends were from Tibet, from Poland, you know. It was very international little hub, but it wasn't Brazilian, no. Yeah, that, that's interesting. And so, again, the pri- prior um, to this time, you hadn't really cooked meals for yourself or anybody else. No, which is so interesting. I got so into cooking. And again, in U.S., it's more like a thing. When people decided they want to cook, they go to culinary schools and everything that I admire, appreciate, you know, that aspect of U.S. Like if you want to become an artist, you go to art school and everything. In other parts of the world, you just do it. So my goal was never to become a chef, but I realized I loved cooking for other people and mm-hmm. just you no know, learning about the flavors and different different textures and culture so i loved learning how to cook in this cafe but after a while i was I applied to get my italian citizenship my grandpa was italian so i lived in italy for a while and that cooking skills helped a lot because i was living in this apartment full of guys and the boys nobody knew how to cook it was anything between 20 to 50 years old none of the men knew how to cook and they discovered that i knew how to cook mm. so it was a, such a nice you know experiment because people would come to me and said okay you don't have to spend any money we pay the we buy the ingredients. You tell us what to do, what to buy. So every day, pretty much, I would tell them, "Okay, we're gonna do carbonara today, and this, 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 and this. We're gonna do a Brazilian dish." So I never paid for food, and I was the, the cook. <laughs> wow! Yeah, for the for the for the, our room was a was a school. We lived there in Italy, so yeah. it was a school, and uh, not just our bedroom. Sometimes the other neighbors, but no bedrooms as well. Other rooms they would come and share. But I was the the cook for. Six fellas, you know, sometimes ten, but every day or so, I was the the one cooking. It was very cool. Were, were these other Italians or were they Brazilian no, like you? Oh, just a- some Brazilians, mostly Brazilians. Uh, some people from different parts of the world, Costa Rica, yeah. So I, I'm I'm just fascinated by this, Rodrigo, because again, you're in Italy at this point. We jump to Italy. Um, you're making cabanera, mm-hmm. and, and you don't have a background really m- making 
making this? You did you, did you grow up, you know, e- eating that kind of food? Where did oh, where yeah, did totally. you? Brazilian. We have okay. a huge Italian influence in Brazil. In fact, as a joke, before I left Brazil, when people would ask me like, "What's your what's the most traditional food from Brazil?" I would say lasagna, pizza, kiwi. <laughs> I mean, they're all influenced by the people. Italian yeah. is, is a huge influence in Brazil, you know. So I grew up eating all these things, but most of all, I started learning how to cook these delicious things that I always, always loved to eat. Mm-hmm. So it was such an easy match. And again, as you said, I never got it formally trained, but I worked every day in a restaurant, you know, for a bunch of restaurants and cafes for years. So yeah. in a way, well, that was my school, you know, someone teaching you how to cook cut vegetables, how to do this, how to fry things. That was the best school ever, and I got paid to do that. Yeah. So that was in, uh, that was in Italy, and, h- and how long were you in Italy? I was in Italy not for long. I was in Italy for maybe nine or ten months. Uh-huh. And then for that time, I saved money to be there. Just I was waiting for the, my passport, so I just lived in the school, so I was learning. It was, uh, uh, the course was called Cucina. It was Language, Cooking, and Culture in Italy, mm-hmm. basically. So the, the school actually also taught some, uh, some Italian you know, cuisine kind of thing, but it was between, in, with languages and with culture. It was a beautiful place that I found, and it was actually cheaper than if I had rented a place by myself to sure. live in a school and learn. So it was just a nice ex- experience, yeah. And, and then again, you weren't paying, you didn't have to pay for your own food because people were buying it for you. You just had right. to cook it up. Essentially, yes. And it was such a, a nice time because all the little skills that I was gathering, you know, and learning like even i had i was the only one for example having the international drive license so some old folks would come to the school and learn from different parts of the world mostly brazilians but i spoke english back then already so people would come to me and said oh you're the only one to have a drive license can you drive us to milan and i pay you know i said you don't have to pay just pay my hotel and everything so i was kind of doing the things and not spend much money because people say oh you know how to cook here, we, we buy the ingredients. You know how to drive. Here, can you? we rent a car. We pay the hotel. Can you drive us around Italy? Wow. <laughs> so I was basically the drive and the cook without spending money. I just spend the money for the school, and that's it, you know? Rodrigo, you're, you're describing a life. So this was when you were in your 20s, right? To I was 20. I was late 20s by then. Okay. 20, yeah. 20. I would say 20. Yeah, 20, mid 20, 25, 26. Yeah. You're describing this kind of this uh this life that I think a lot of people romanticize this this right. idea of 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 you know traveling traveling the world in your case uh Europe and um having all these great experiences and really kind of shaping what would probably become the next phase of your life to your point of you know this is where you picked up all those cooking skills. Totally, totally. Yeah. And then the one thing to, to say is that I realize a lot of people, they travel to place and they want to be travelers. But for me, it was never about the places. It was always about the people. Mm-hmm. You know, the people, like in England, I connect to this cafe this, and the people, they, they were my family. Every day, as I said, I became a vegetarian without being vegetarian because I loved the people and the food. And then in, in Italy, same thing, I connected to these people. And the people for me was, and it is to this day, the main reason that I do what I do, you know. Yeah. So you're uh, so you, you're so you go from Brazil, you go to England, you're in um, Italy for for less than a year. Where do you go next? And then next, I got my passport, went back uh, to back to England. I actually got the passport because I was living with my ex girlfriend back then, uh, my girlfriend back then, I guess. And then we decided to be together for for you know, for a while. So I applied for the passport. When I got the passport, we broke up. <laughs> so the reason for the passport was that, but we broke up. So I actually I thank her because. I had all this beautiful experience, but I went back to England. Uh, I stayed there a little bit more. And then from there, I decided to, after a few years, I ended up staying for eight years in England total. But the last months, I decided to leave. And I said, you know what? I'm tired of the cold weather of England. I'm going to go back to Brazil. And before I left to Brazil, I decided to do, a, 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 I would say, another trip just because I was close by. So I went to India and I spent three months there. I was curious about Indian cooking. You know, I love Indian food. In London, especially in London or in England, is where you find the, the biggest amount of Indian cuisine in the world. There are so many Indians, you know, and Punjabi yeah. food, all these delicious different from different regions of India. So I loved already Indian food, and people have been telling me about India. So I decided to go to India, and the deal was, I saw this, this ticket, this flight ticket. There was like, a, I don't know, 600 British pounds if I go there normally, but if I spend more than two months or two months and a half, I would pay like a 300. For some reason, it was cheaper to stay for more than two months. 
Hmm. So I said, that's it. I'm going to spend three months in India. <laughs> so again, I saved my money. And my, by the way, no, when you're young, I never thought about the future that much. So my goal about saving money was to travel and to eat. That was the goal. So I saved the money to go to India to spend three months learning about cooking a little bit, but traveling mostly. And that's the, I'm just mentioning about India because that's the reason I came to US because traveling in India, I met my ex-wife and she was from here, from, from um, US. So we got there, we went to, I went to Rishikesh. It was later I discovered that's when the Beatles, where the Beatles went and found mm-hmm. their gurus and all. But also it was a very beautiful place. The food was amazing. You know, this, I remember going to this cafe called Buddha, Little Buddha Cafe in Rishikesh. And we got there with some foreigners and travelers at 10 a.m. And we were like, let's have a breakfast here. So we had a breakfast and the guy, you know, we were there talking, have fun. By noon, the server came and said, are you guys staying for lunch? And I said, sure, let's stay here. And then we stayed there all day long. By 7 p.m., the guy said, are you staying for dinner? And I said, sure. <laughs> so we so were there all day. All day. It was the only place we arrived at 10 a.m. and left at like 8 p.m. And yeah. nobody cares. There was no turning table. The culture of, you know, pushing the clients because there are the clients coming. It's not existent in, in all over the world, I guess. So we stayed there and it was a beautiful experience. So I was there for three months and then I met Laurie, my ex-wife. We got connected, traveled together through Nepal, and I went to South India. I was traveling. And then when she came back, we kept in touch. I came here to visit her in Portland. She came to visit me in Brazil. And eventually, we decided to be together, and then I moved to to Portland. And that's uh, ultimately what uh, got you into the States. It was. Even though it wasn't my goal, uh, I enjoy living in, in Europe just because it's easier to travel, you know, with one no, 50 bucks you go to a different country with 10 bucks you eat well you know you mean healthcare for all there are a lot of things that i, I liked about europe right. living in europe so i came here because she had opened a new business so i came to stay here we ended up getting married and this the the, the, the talk was let's stay here in portland for a few years and then we go back together to europe mm-hmm and then I've been here for 12 years. <laughs> You've been here for 12 years. Well, that's a, a perfect spot, Rodrigo, for us to, to take our first uh, break here. And when we come back, I want to talk about, you know, ultimately what, what led to the creation of Favela. So we'll, we'll talk about that right after this. Perfect. Hey, Chris, let's pause a moment and talk about Oregon Dungeness Crab. It's a favorite dish at holiday gatherings, special occasions, or just when you're in the mood for the sweet, delicate deliciousness you can only get from Oregon's tastiest crustacean. It's harvested sustainably from Oregon's cold, clean coastal waters and is available now at your favorite seafood retailer or restaurant. Oregon Dungeness serves up equally as an appetizer or an entree and lends itself to both down home and white tablecloth cuisine. And it's also as nutritious as it is tasty. We know it's tasty. A three ounce portion of cooked meat has 19 grams of protein and contains important minerals and amino acids. It's low in both fat and calories as well as cholesterol and carbohydrates. That's important to me. Yeah. And rest assured, the fishermen are not just delivering a delicious and healthy product. They're also taking care of natural resources for future generations. Visit OregonDungeness.org for information on preparing your favorite crab dish and learning more about the fleet. So go ahead and crack the mystique. Oregon Dungeness Crab, the flavor of Oregon. So we're back with Rodrigo. So uh, it, it's a whirlwind life. Again, I, I mentioned this. You've kind of lived this this uh, this life that I think people romanticize. A lot of traveling, um, a lot of adventures. Were there times as you were, you know, in London, in Italy, and then you know, I guess, I guess in three months you talked about the three months that you were there in India. Um, you you had saved up specifically to do that. But were there times where you didn't know? Um, you know, were you were you bouncing around restaurants at this time, or was everything pretty steady, and you didn't you weren't too worried about you know how you were going to pay the bills? No, me, me, life is not steady at all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Even to this day, I, I don't know what steady means. I mean, that's life. I mean, I, no. So answering your question, I was. I mean, when I arrived in England, I had no English, so I was doing any kind of jobs. And I remember, like, uh, when I got, I was working this hotel cleaning rooms and i mean i have a degree i mean i'm a journalist in brazil you know i studied and I worked i mean it's not like i came from you know poor 
community in Brazil. I came from a big city and studied in Brazil. So for me to be working at the beginning in this hotel and not speaking the language, it was pretty tough at the beginning. And I remember being, you know, feeling down and I was working with this fella and I told him, he's like, man, what am I doing here? You know, in Brazil, I have a degree. Da, da, da. And then he looked at me. He said, Rodrigo, in Brazil, I was a doctor. And I was like, holy cow. Yeah. So the guy said, this is temporary. Just see this as a temporary. We're here to learn a language, learn the culture, whatever, and learn. Then you go back and do whatever. And that changed my mind. So everything's temporary for sure. That was a reminder lesson kind of thing, you know. So from that time, I was like, okay, I'm on. So whatever happened, whatever job people would offer or connections, I would pursue. But my goal was the working with people I, I cannot work like on a computer all day long i tried to work at intel when i arrived here it was miserable so mm-hmm. i realized back then i have to work with people i'm great with people you know so i was doing like a little videos like i sent it to people in brazil i was back then as i said i was a journalist i wrote for a couple of uh, newspapers in brazil sent some photos so my goal was always to go back to work with people and connecting with the food. So eventually I realized, well, the food is awesome because if you work in a restaurant anywhere in the world, but at least there, I know, you learn about, you cook, but also you eat there. So you don't have to spend money eating outside. So if you work for any other business, you have to pay the rent and pay food. If you work for a restaurant, often, more than often, uh, more, than, um, no, more than not, you eat at the restaurant. So I was like, no, that's the goal. I'm going to like, like cooking already and I love eating so i'm going to work in a place where i can eat the food so i started you know choosing and being picky and i remember in england i worked in this this restaurant in london uh called the commander bar i don't know if it's still there but it was a very posh upscale restaurant like a you know the paul mccartney used to go there you know sure. the guy from and i didn't know anybody famous if someone is super famous sure but local people famous i didn't know so i would serve people like a normal people and i think clients really liked that you know my Friends would say, oh, that guy is the actor, that guy is from the podcast, you know, right at the fork, you know, mm-hmm. all these famous people. And I would say, you know, I don't know anybody. So for me, they're just people, just clients. I treat them equally. And I remember one guy that I was, I was surprised, the guy from YouTube, uh, Bono, Bono Vox. One day this guy came with a big hat and glasses. I wasn't the server. I was, you know, just saw him and I was like, oh, that looked like a Bono. And sure enough, all the paparazzis were around. But anyway, that restaurant was was a very, you know, known restaurant in London back then. And the chef, I wanted to work in the kitchen. And the woman said, Rodrigo, you're great with clients. Work with clients. Yeah. And the chef were, uh, they were like a, that a image of a chef that you see on TV, you know, like a garden, like a, people were yelling. I came to the guy and said, is this plate red? The guy said, I don't care, you know. <laughs> but he wasn't playing like a Gordon Ramsay. He plays a character. He actually, he's actually a very nice guy in the real right. life. Yeah. But these guys in the kitchen, they were they were bad. So right. I remember being like, why these guys? So I think they watched this, this TV show, the food shows, and wanted to be like that. But anyway, that was the first restaurant that I worked at that I met actually people that were miserable in a kitchen. And I mm-hmm. always thought, like, if I ever work in a kitchen, I would never work in a place like that with people like that. So, so, so all these experiences you're having are kind of, you know, behind the scenes, whether intentionally or unintentionally, are kind of formulating what you – you want to do in the future, which is uh, a community focused place for people to come and, and, you know, and hang out very similar to that vegan place you worked at in England. Absolutely. Yeah. And then also a work environment where um, people want to show up. I mean, we, uh, you actually had an employee show up early today. I know. <laughs> who has that? Yeah, who who does that? I, I mean, I work so much. I arrive one hour early. <laughs> yeah, there there we go. Um, so okay, so you you had mentioned before we went to break that you you came here to Portland um, with your with your ex wife. This is where she was from, with the intention that you were eventually going to go back to. Was it living in Europe or just kind of traveling in Europe, or what living, was the plan there? Probably living in Europe. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, but that didn't happen. What, what, what changed? Well, that didn't happen because her business started to take over. I mean, she had a, a CrossFit gym and started to grow more and more. So I, back then, starting in England, I started to research. Um, I got interested about, especially work in the kitchen. Uh, I got into like a, the happiness and wellness research uh, mm-hmm. from beginning of my time there. So I started studying and work with some people. So when I moved to here, I kept this research and eventually, I opened the Portland, which was the Portland Happiness Center. It was a place for research. I started giving like a talks and workshop about happiness and wellness. And a lot, I mean, 
based on my experience working in restaurants, like uh, some people are very miserable I me mean, in many fields, but especially in, in the kitchen, there are a lot of people, you know, the drugs and alcohol and smoking, there is a lot of addiction, you know, because it's a very, can be a very high stress environment. I, make, I remember uh, listening to or watching Anthony Bourdain's, uh, you know, video, and he was saying exactly the same thing. He struggled with a bunch of things, and I started to realize some, why some restaurants can have this thriving, beautiful community. Some have this super stress. It doesn't matter how high-end it was. It was from the management's part. So my research started to try to understand the connection between cultures, Brazil and England back then, and then eventually U.S., but also work environment. So when I opened a happiness center, the, the cooking and the food part it was became like a secondary, but then the research became my primary thing. So I started doing this thing with the Happiness Center, and I gave a talk to, I don't know, Airbnb here and different companies, the Laughing Planets Cafe, and it was so beautiful to connect with the, some food, you know, food leaders like the Laughing Planet guy and the owner. How amazing! Nobody knows about how amazing the owner is. You know how amazing the company is with their employees, and it was very refreshing to to do that. So for about 10 years, or a little less, no, for about five years, then I got certified as a wellness and life coach back then. So I was like a coaching people on happiness and wellness and doing workshops, ended up publishing a book about relationships and happiness here in the U.S. So you went towards happiness and wellness for, for a bunch of years. Uh, and about four years ago, just getting close to the cafe, me and my current wife, so my ex-wife, we, we broke up. We were together for four years, and you know, a year, a year and a half later, I met Dunia, my my wife. Now, we were thinking about actually moving to in Italy to open a little bed and breakfast, so I could cook and have international people. Mm-hmm. That was the goal. But then, didn't things didn't work out? Uh, she got sick for a while. We said, you know what? If you're gonna be here, let's at least open a place that we can welcome the community. And by then, I was already organizing you know, events for the Brazilian community. I produced the Brazilian festival here in Portland, the Brazilian carnival. It's our 10-year anniversary. It was this year. So I was already doing a bunch of things for the Brazilian community. And I always thought there was no place for the Brazilian community or people that went to Brazil to gather. Because if you go to Fogo de Chão, the Brazilian steakhouse, you're going to spend 60, 70 bucks per person a head. I mean, I wanted to, to find a place where people just come, grab a coffee, and talk. And coffee and food, is, they are the, the, the biggest excuse for people to get together. So that's when we talked about and decided to, to create Favela. So Favela came with that sense of, um, I would say, like a uns- dissatisfaction on what was happening, you know, the scene, the Latin scene, the diversity scene, I guess, you know, food and culturally here in Portland. And so for me, it was an experiment where I actually put, I feel like more and more, I used all the skills, not just the cooking, but also the happiness research, you know, all these things that, and living in Brazil and living in England, and now here, everything came together by chance, of course, but we, we just thought about and talked about that and planned favela and just fit. It was just perfect. You know, when you don't realize all the things you use in life, like for you, Kurt, can be, you know, working with podcasts and you like food and this, suddenly you connect in one pot and just showed up. So we start thinking about that and we start looking for places. We found this beautiful place here, which is very much favela looking, you know, full of bricks. That's where I am right now, full of bricks and wood, kind of rustic, in a very rustic part of town, which is Foster. You know, it's mm-hmm. not like a division. And I love that it's more roots in a way, you know. So that's... That's when we decided to open Favela. Yeah, we should uh, we should explain to people because I, I had to do some research. I, I knew there had to be some meaning behind the name Favela, but Favela is a term used in is it in Portuguese or just in Brazil? It's in dis- a lot of I mean, in, in Spanish as well. Uh, okay, in Portuguese, but mainly in Portuguese. But Favela, what did you learn by the way? I, I, the way it was described to me is basically it's it's a it's kind of a it's a part of town that is a little more. Um, rustic, a little more, I, I guess you could say run down, but basically resources are used to basically hobble together uh, structures and the, I mean the terms that were in, associated with it and I kind of found it just to be more negative were like the ghetto or yeah. shanty towns. Yeah, um, that's basically slams or shanty town. That's what yeah. it is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, the favela when I was in Brazil, I volunteered in, the, in this favela called Heliopolis in Sao Paulo. It's one of the largest favelas in Brazil, actually. And uh, I volunteered in this 
place with kids. It was a orf- kind of not orphanage, but helped kids somehow. And mm-hmm. I met so many amazing people. And back then, I discovered that favela. We hear you know the bad side of favela, all the bad news and the traffic, traffic dealing and the drugs. But the bad people I discovered they are about five percent of favela. Ninety to ninety-five percent, they are great people, hard work people. They didn't have as much opportunity, and they went to favela. But favela these days. It's not the same as it used to be in the 70s or 60s. Like uh, the people in favela, they have a flat screen TV in their, right. in their place. They have cars and everything. It's a different thing. Of course, favela in Northeast or different parts of Brazil, they're poor. But in big mm-hmm. cities like Rio or Sao Paulo, they, everybody you know, has cars and it's a different thing. But what I realized that favela is the place, the place in the world where there is the biggest sense of uh, community. You know, people have to rely on each other. Actually, there is a guy that I follow Rick Chester, Rick Chester is a Brazilian fellow who used to sell water on the beach of Copacabana in Rio. And he became famous now. He talks all over the world as a speaker. But he published a book called The Favela Won, which saying like the culture of favela, which is very much what we've been doing here, won in a sense of we, they were able to show the world, at least Brazil, that there are so many beautiful things. And it's true that there's a little bit of judgment, you know, even in Brazil. When we opened the cafe, Brazilians would come to me and said, why favela? It's because many, they didn't know what favela was. They never experienced favela. They just saw things on the news. And the news only shows the bad things. Right. So good things, you know, conversations like that. Just to have, for you to have an idea, the, the organization I was working with kids, the biggest traffic dealer in the favela used to donate thousands of thousands of money of cash to this organization to help the kids. And I was shocked. It was kind of a, a bad version, but a kind of a Robin Hood kind of thing. Because he, I met the guy, and of course I was a little shaking because the guy is the biggest, you know, drug dealer, or whatever. And then he said, "I was curious, like, why do you help?" And he said, "Because I don't want my kid and other kids have the same destiny that I have." Mm-hmm. I mean, it's so powerful. How it's so complex, you know. It's not just to say this is bad, this is good. Of course, a lot of things he was saying, what doing in life was bad. At the same time, he was helping like a tremendously when the government wasn't, you know. So it's that's when I realized. Favela, we want to, so we chose the name Favela for our cafe because we want to people to come here and feel like they are part of this bigger community. They can come here, they can rely on each other, we can rely on us, we know their names. That's the thing, it's the biggest experiment ever. And now, after four years, I wonder if people in Portland are ready for that because we have our community for sure. But by then, I thought people would be like, I want to, and I really wanted more places, more business to be like that, where you go to a place. People know your name. It's like a cheers, but in real life. Right. You know, people not just know your name. People come here and they met or they meet other people here. You know, they become friends here. We mm-hmm. do a bunch of events for the community. People come here. I know, for example, oh, have you been traveling? How is, if you're sick, we know people's stories, mostly of our clients. It's amazing. Like they know us. Like when we traveled last week, we went to Portugal and Spain. And I posted, oh, by the way, we're coming back. This is what we got influence in Portugal. I got back. People knew how was the trip and everything. It's, it's a community, totally community business experience that people in Portland still have no idea. You know, we are still here. But, but by this time, I thought like this place or place like that, that I, again, I wish there were more, would be packed because we are suffering with loneliness in the U.S. Right. So this is a place where you can come and I will know your name. Like if you come here, court, I will hug you. You know what I mean? Like I'm part of the neighborhood association, the business association, and I hug everybody. Everybody knows each other. Mm-hmm. And I feel like people still live in there. And COVID, of course, came to make everything worse. But at the same time, I thought after COVID, people realized we need human connection. We need contact. We need, if you don't hug, you know, say hello to people. I was joking that in Brazil, my wife, first time she went there, I think she was surprised that people would say 10 or 20 times, like different people say, good morning, bon dia, bon dia, bon dia, you know, good morning. And she realized like, wow, here, even we have 20 million people in this city, people recognize each other's humanity. And I miss the important. People are very friendly here, but I think people are still not connecting as we could. Yeah. You know, so the cafe is an experiment. It's like, come here. You're gonna, we're gonna know you. You know, if you want to, if you allow us, we're gonna be friends. We don't have clients. We have friends now. Yeah, there's there's so many directions that I would love to take this conversation, Rodrigo. Because you you meant you you brought up something that really uh, spoke to me. So I've I've traveled not nearly as much as you have, but you know I've traveled through. Um, France and Switzerland and, and down into Mexico. And it's been those times where I've gone into the more unassuming places, the more rundown places of the city or, or met with people there where I, I 
had a better connection with people because it was more real. And I don't know, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but like the, some of the best chicken I've ever had in my life was in this, uh, was with this family of Romanians in France that had, uh, basically started squatting inside a, an abandoned, uh, building in, you know, in France because that's the, the place that they, they could go to. And I met them one day on the street and they invited me in for chicken and it was the best chicken I ever had. Wow. Um, but, but it was, but uh, kind of to your point, it's just like this. Sent these these little pockets of of community are almost stronger in in these unassuming places, places like a favela. Right. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Yeah. It does. Um, I mean, and to to your point, it is stronger. But the number of people that experience that are very small. Yeah. I mean, in my view, as a happiness researcher, if you call it. I think we all, at least the majority of people, should experience that because it will help us to connect each other and fight loneliness. Sure. You know what I mean? We'll fight us to be more connected and less stressed. Yeah. So, you know, so to your point, you're totally right. Yeah. And, and, and you know, and you, you, you talked about COVID. I think one of the, the, you know, there's obviously the health side effects that I think we're going to see the uh, adverse effects of for some time. But culturally, I mean, I, I've got two teenage daughters that spent, you know, a good, good chunk of their, their teenage years, not interacting with their classmates in a classroom. So I think that's going to affect things. But I also think like we sheltered ourselves so much that uh, I think some of the the social issues we might be seeing today have to do with the fact that for two years, we weren't seeing each other face to face. We weren't talking to each other. And so um, I've experienced it myself. Like I've yeah. been flying a lot lately. I'll get on airplanes and it's like I'm flying with a bunch of people who have never been around other people before. Right. So like everybody's everybody's like ready to fight. Yeah. And uh, it's just I this mean, interesting one, thing. It is very interesting. One thing I have to add to that is that if it was a if every because everybody suffered equally with COVID, right? It was yeah. every it took the whole world by surprise. So if that was uh, true as a human nature, we would struggle in the same way. But that's not true. Like uh, for example, we came back from Portugal a few weeks ago, and even in Brazil, I went last year. People already have this connection. So in US, we're still struggling and being fighting. You know, you can say because of the stress of COVID. But as we always you know experience COVID all over the world, how can we not struggle in the same way? Like in different parts of the world, people did the opposite. They connected even more because mm-hmm. they they remember or they came, you know, came to their mind that we all could have died. So why not now to connect and help each other? Here, we still have a lot of, oh, my God, I'm going to fight for myself. There's a lot of these that I, I still don't understand. So, But it's not because of COVID. Because, again, in some parts of the world, people went to a different direction. So COVID for sure shaked a bunch of things. Yeah. Shook. But at the same time, people got shaken in different ways. Yeah, I, and I would suspect Rodrigo, you you being the again the traveler that you have, and and having not just not just uh, traveled through areas and spent you know a week or a, a couple of months in areas where you actually lived amongst cultures. I mean, um, Italy and England very culturally diverse in in certain areas, um, and it sounds like those are a lot of the areas where you were. Um, you know, uh, Americans, as as much as we are kind of this melting pot, we're still there's still very much a defined American culture that mm. is, you know, I, I don't know how you describe it. But like, it's just kind of it's, it's unique to itself and um, causes us to be, you know, very much different from the rest of the world for good and yeah. for bad. Right. I see. I see in U.S. the pot. I don't see the melting. Mm-hmm. OK. Yeah. You know what I mean? There is a pot of different ingredients, but they don't yeah. melt as much. Not not anymore. Uh, I mean, I don't think they ever melted. Okay. Like, uh, the African culture here should be way more integrated. You know, sure. the Asian culture here should be way more integrated. Yeah. Like we still have very it's very little, you know, cliques. Like there's a group of here, group of here, group, of, which is fine. The culture is kept, you know, alive. But at yeah. the same time, it it could and can and hopefully will be way more melting than what it is right now. I love that you're telling me this because, you know, growing up in the American education system, the the big thing that was taught to me was America is a melting pot. But to to your point, um, I, I guess it's been a, a white melting pot where the, the white cultures, you know, people like me who come from Scandinavia, my family, Scandinavia and England, um, they, those cultures have probably melted a lot, a lot more. And to your point, um, 
you know, Asian cultures and African cultures have, have not been. So, um, yeah. yeah, I can't see that as you're saying, because the Italians, when it comes to the East Coast, they melted the Irish people, they melted easier. So in yeah. a way, if, if you have a visual, my visual of this pot in America is a pot with dividers. Sure. You know what I mean? There, there are ingredients there, but these yeah. dividers, there are, so there's a pot for sure. And it's yeah. getting better for sure, but I cannot... I mean, it's hard and almost uh, wrong to compare, but just to learn with diff- different cultures. Like, uh, I ask myself, I mean, with my curly hair and the cultures that I experience in Brazil or even in England, how can we learn from different cultures? And now being here, what can we learn from Brazil? Because Brazil learned a lot from U.S. U.S. exports the culture and movies and everything. But mm-hmm. I feel we, we could here in U.S. learn from other cultures. And that's one aspect that would be very beautiful is to learn and absorb more things from other cultures, no? Yeah, totally. And I want to talk about cultures. We're going to take we're going to take our last break here, Rodrigo, and then come back talk about that. And then also just so that you can be thinking about this. I think I gave you the heads up is is recommendations for people to go in Portland yes. that's not favela. Yes. So we'll talk, talk about that coming up. All right. Hey, Chris, we are pausing just a moment to talk about one of our favorite places to eat, Ringside Steakhouse. Hey, Court, I know you love the hats, and I kind of do, too. I always have a hat on. Mm-hmm. For the first time in Ringside's 79-year history, you can get a hat, T-shirt, even an apron for your favorite Ringside fan. Those are available in person on West Burnside. Go to, when you, while you're eating, ask for them or just stop in after, what, 4.30, I guess? Yeah. This is really exciting for me, Chris. We were talking about this off air, and when you told me this news, I got really excited because uh, a few years ago, I noticed somebody back of house at ringside wearing a really cool ringside t-shirt, and I thought, I would like one of those. But, you know, it's ringside steakhouse. You wouldn't necessarily think to go there and buy a t-shirt. Now you can. First time in 79 years. This is exciting. This, yeah. should, this should be headline in the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so take advantage of that. Also take advantage of the three-course prime rib dinner that takes place on Mondays. You, you've done this. Oh, yes. And it used to be Wednesday. So be aware, because I yeah. had a friend join me for dinner once, and she was expecting Wednesday night prime rib. Not happening. So, yeah. Um, but they do have it available outside of the special on weekends as well. So you can get prime rib with their unbelievable Yorkshire pudding um, on those nights. But the special is Monday night. That's the night to do it. I was there last night. Wednesday night, it was packed. So, um, But I wasn't packed to the point where you couldn't walk around in the uh, the hostess host section but it was, it was nicely packed. And, of course, we had an incredible, including a, a meal, including the Wagyu, which anybody has to do once, at least, in their lifetime or more. Once you do it once, you want to do it more. And I have. Uh, don't forget right now, because it is Dungeness Crab season, you right now on the menu in the, in the appetizer section, the chili lime Dungeness Crab Cake. So get that while you can. Or the crab cocktail was unbelievable. So... I suggest anybody there, if, if you're going with the table, get the crab cocktail and the prawn cocktail and have a, start your meal off the right way, including onion rings, of course. Oh, yeah. Got to do, do that. Got to do that, too. So also, one quick thing, because we've been talking a little bit here. Halibut season starts May 10th, and Ringside will have that on the menu made Chef Jonathan Gill's way after that. So mark that on your calendar and make a reservation. You can do it at ringsidesteakhouse.com or on the Open Table app. So um, one of the things I wanted to talk with you, Rodrigo, is, um, you know, I mentioned earlier spending time in France and Switzerland, and I ran into uh, a lot of Brazilian people in France and Switzerland for, for whatever reason. It threw me off at first, but and it sounds as if that's not uncommon for, um, you know, Brazilian culture to, you know, we, we always think of European culture going going outward. But right. instead, uh, my experience was I would I would meet the you know I'd meet the uh, pockets of Brazilian families or Brazilian young people like myself at the time. And one of the things that I loved most is was the passion um, of the the Brazilian youth um, when I start talking with them. 
um, about Capo Caporea. Am I saying that right? The drink yeah, the, or the dance. The dance, the the, oh, yeah. the, the martial art dance. Is that my saying that? Capoeira. Capoeira. That's it. Yeah. Um, was that unique to me, or is that really like a, a big cultural thing in Brazil? It's a big cultural thing in Brazil. Capoeira is this dance. So back then, when the slavery happened in Brazil, uh, we had, by the way, ten times more slaves than U.S. So the mm. influence of the African, you know, culture is huge in Brazil from music, samba, but capoeira was a dance brought, uh, some people say, from Angola, from the West Coast. But it was a kind of dance martial art that they would dance, but when the police would threaten to do something bad, they would kick people's ass. You know, so it was like a, the way to defend themselves yeah. was capoeira. It was a, it was a beautiful story, yeah. Yeah, it was. I, I remember the fir- first time I stumbled upon it, there was this, uh, I don't know, it was like a house house full of, of Brazilians, and they were just watching videos for it, and they said, you need to watch this! And so I, I think I sat there for three hours watching different, it was videotapes back then, videotapes of of it, and, and, and it really is this really interesting, it's martial arts-esque, but it's more of a choreographed dance, and it's just, right. uh, it's, it's interesting. It is less, actually, there are four or five groups of capoeira here in Portland, they're very, very nice here, but it's more than choreographed, people learn how to be flexible, which is a very good lesson for life, like how to be flexible in life, how mm-hmm. to know how to hit. I mean, of course, these days there is no fight anymore as much. It's more like a, you know, someone's going to try to hit you, defend yourself. So sure. I feel that's a, one of the beautiful lessons in life, knowing how to hit, how to defend, how to be flexible. <laughs> well, that, that leads me to this question, which is uh, what I wanted to ask. So when you moved to here to Portland and you've been here for how, how 12 long? Years 12 now. years now. What is the Brazilian uh, population like here in Portland? Like, Well... The Brazilian population is a very interesting population compared to the one in England or a different place. I feel like the people that come to Oregon, the Brazilians, they come here for different reasons than the Brazilians that come to Florida, for example. People that come to Florida or California or New York, they go to make money. A lot of mm-hmm. people don't speak English. They come to try their, you know, try life and try to make money. Uh, some people come to try to get the documents. Or In Oregon, the, majority, the vast majority of Brazilians, they come here with a job, speak English, with education. Because it's cold and far away, so no Brazilians would go to a place where it's cold and far away and you don't make as much money as California right. and Florida, I guess. <laughs> so huh. the community here, it's, it's they're very interesting because, I mean, even for me, I feel like I'm the connector of the Brazilian community because I organize you know, the, the festival and the carnival. But every festival, every event we do, you see people you've never seen before, which it tells me that there are a lot of Brazilians moving now the last year or two to Oregon from different mm. parts of the U.S., looking for a better quality of life, uh, but also missing, you no know, losing the, the, the weather, I guess. But anyway, uh, the community here is not very big uh, and is very spread out. So in London, for example, there was a, a neighborhood, Baywater, Bayswater, that was like a, the neighborhood of Brazilians, you know, different. Here, there is no neighborhood of Brazilians. Brazilians, right. a lot of Brazilians, they like to live in the suburbs because they, a lot of the, the American dream that people have, including in Brazil, is... Let's go to U.S. and get this big house and big cars. And here you can, easier than if you live in different countries. Right. So a lot of people, they come here and they live in Hillsborough. A lot of Brazilians live in Beaverton, Vancouver. So there are no many Brazilians in Portland area. It's a lot of in the suburbs because a lot work for Nike and Intel, all these big companies. So there's a lot of Brazilians at Nike, for example. Hmm. So as, as you set out and created uh, Favela Brazilian Café, um, and, and this might actually answer the question I had. As I, as I noticed, it, it's it's not just a Brazilian community cafe. You 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 have set out truly to make this be a community cafe for the neighborhoods that, that you're in. Right. And 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 I say that simply because I was looking over your website, and you have uh, like uh, what is it Parisian night, or you have. Oh, yeah. diff- so you're basically creating opportunities for these other other communities to you know basically say favela is our place to go and hang out right. even though it is a brazilian cafe correct right because for me there is no difference between brazilian community and american community i think community is community first of all mm-hmm. there are people the brazilian was just an excuse because people here love brazil for some reason or other, people love Brazilian culture. We talk about Brazil. They're like, oh, my God, you're from Brazil. Yeah. It seems that I've never been in a place where people love Brazil and Brazilian culture so much. So the Brazilian was an easy thing because they realized people love the culture. So I thought, let's open this as an excuse because people are going to come 
because they, they are curious about Brazil. So as I said, the community, Brazilian community here is not very big. So we never relied on the Brazilian community to, to survive or to thrive. We rely on the community, people that want to connect to each other, people that are curious about different cultures. And the excuse would be the coffee, the Brazilian culture, you know, the way we treat people. That's the excuse, to be honest. When did, um, you know, we, we've talked about where you learned to, to actually cook and develop those skills. So when did you start kind of making sure you were, or when, when did you learn how to create the, the Brazilian traditional meals that you might find at Favela? That's a that's a good question. I don't know if if I know if I could pinpoint when or how it just happened. Like a, I mean, being Brazilian is an easy thing because I know the things that works well or doesn't. Mm-hmm. So when people come here, like I would like we collaborate with a bunch of people. For example, some people cook some things for us. We buy, we cook some things here, we produce. But when people want to bring, you know, different plates, I always my my me and my wife's goal is always to remember. This is a Brazilian cafe. We have to be truth and keep truth to the culture and to the idea. So everything that we sell here, food-wise, for example, is more like a street food of Brazil. So mm-hmm. people come here expecting meat, you know, or the full plates, and we have to explain. Now people know, but here's a kind of place that you go to talk, there's some snacks, but it's a street food of Brazil. We yeah. fry these special things from time to time. We have baked things, cheese bread. It's, you know, the most popular thing we have here, chicken corn. So... Yeah, I think it's less about knowing how to cook and more about knowing what you want to cook. Because sure. if you're going to learn, go to a culinary school, you learn how to cook everything. My goal is to learn to cook what I like. I don't want to cook everything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and, and I guess kind of to your point, and you hit on this earlier, is that I think a lot of people, when they think Brazilian food, they think of those big Brazilian steakhouses with the, you know, the guys walking around with the swords and the, and the right. you know, the meat on skewers and all that stuff. And, um, that's not, is that, is that how, how Brazilian is that? Is that it is, it is Brazilian. So it is Brazilian. The word rodizio, that's the word was created mm-hmm. in Brazil, which is basically people used to come to the, to the, to the, to a table to get served. And one day in Southeast Brazil, South Brazil, there was no service. So they decided to bring the server to your table. Mm-hmm. That word rodizio is called, which is the guys come to your table was created in Brazil and export it to the world. With that said, this kind of food is a small part of Brazilian cuisine. Yeah. You know, people think about meat, but it's almost the same thing as coming here in the U.S. and say U.S. is just burgers. No, there right. are a lot more than burgers, you know, but Brazil, especially Brazil with the influence of, you know, Europeans and Italians and Japanese culture and cuisine and African, there's so much more. So we wanted to tackle the street food of, you know, the snacks, the sandwiches. Like people come here and they get this sandwich that, you go every day. That's the thing that's very nice. You, you go in Brazil, you go every day in the morning and grab a coffee with this sandwich, like a ham and cheese, tomato, and oregano. You can you know, it's kind of simple in a Brazilian bread, but it, it, it just tastes like heaven, you know? Yeah. It's just something simple that works, and then we add things, we tweak things here and there, you know? Yeah, that uh, the the cheese bread the is, is it's made with is it tapioca flour? Yeah, tapioca or yuca flour. So it's naturally oh. gluten free thing, which I never thought about that being in Brazil. And when people realize here, they're like, "Oh my god, it's gluten free!" It's like, yeah. yeah, I mean, it's naturally gluten free. I never thought about that, but yeah, yeah. No, that's that that's one of my favorite things ever. Is yeah. that is that cheese bread so yes um all right so um and, and you talked to, talked about you know so if if people were to go check out favela you know their expectations should be that it you know focus that you focus on, on these street foods as opposed to the big grandiose meat on skewers type things right well food wise yeah but people yeah. we people expect when they come here they expect you for us to ask how they are doing yeah. you know really get to know right. people that's the main thing that people expect here to create community and connection. The yeah. food and the coffee is just an excuse. And by the way, I don't know if I, if I share that, but we have a kind of a triangle model, which is the top being like, a, you know, the community, all the things we do in the community. One mm-hmm. side is the Brazilian food and the snacks kind of thing. The other side is the imported products. We import a bunch of traditional products from Brazil. And now, especially now that we open a second location, Table Space, I don't know if I told you, we have a main location, a new location at Table Space, more like a coffee shop. But we have mm-hmm. a, this huge space for events. So the top of the triangle for events is bigger there, less food. Here's more food, some events, but more products. So okay. We're playing with that. Yeah. And then we have a food cart that goes to events. <laughs> so, yeah. 
let, let's talk about that br- briefly. I know we're, we're running out on time, but um, as we talk about COVID and the effects, so you you opened up in late 2019. Everything right. everything changes pretty drastically in early 2020. Right. Um, how how was that for for you and and your wife and as you were was, you know, navigating was, all that? Was, I think it was easier for us in a way because you know when you've been in a business for so long and you just get you know comfortable. The mm-hmm. comfort zone is there if you've been for years. Because it was new for us, we knew that the first years, three or four, would be you no know, tough. Tough, just work hard, everything tight, and just no spend money. So in a way, we were over prepared for whatever came. Sure. You know, when COVID came, we were super prepared. Like I know friends they had to close their restaurants because they didn't have a cash flow. We were like a, we came from the zero. We were like a, we were already super prepared. So in a way, it pushed us to create new things and reinvent ourselves. So our market here behind me, it got way bigger. It used to be two shelves now it's like a seven and freezer and fridge we import meat from brazil and also we start the, back then we deliver to people's house so once a month i, we, I would tell people in vancouver by the way we're going to be in vancouver this day buy online pay online we deliver to you so we deliver in vancouver and beaverton mm-hmm. other day and you know we went to band one day we went to eugene we start delivering to people's house mostly brazilians or people that knew the food and that helped a lot and we started you know we created uh, i don't know if you've been here lately but we Build me, my brother-in-law. Actually, we build ourselves the the, the how they call it, the sh- not shed the, the roof here. Yeah, you know, in the front that helped tremendously because then people had six feet, you know, six foot distance between each other. The tables had way more space. We double our capacity of seating, and most of people back then were just sitting outside. So we covered the whole corridor in front of the cafe where people could sit. So we had to reinvent ourselves, but it was fun. You know, I think, to be honest, it's been harder for us now this year than it was during COVID. Mm. It's very interesting because now people are working from home. They relax. People don't support small business as much as before. Right, right. Even though there's still a lot of those very same challenges, if not more. Oh, yeah, more, I would say, because now, like, there's even though we didn't get help from the government, but at least the government helped some businesses now. There's less help and people are working from home. They're getting out of the house, you know, not as much, so. I I think we could spend another hour talking, Rodrigo. I don't know. No, neither of us have this time, but um, I I asked you um, to share with us places you recommend people go, the places you like to go to eat, or if you've got friends coming to town and you, if they're not going to go to favela, where do you where do you recommend people go to? What are your favorite spots? Uh, I me and my wife were we are very adventurous in terms of exploring new places, especially the ones you said like you met the Romaine, you know, the place that is not you know on the news. So a couple mm-hmm. of places that we like and go back. There is a guy, he's Argentinian. I think he lived in Brazil, but he's Argentinian. He opened a restaurant called Envida, Envida PDX, and then mm-hmm. he cooks a mix between lot kind of South American, a lot of. Uh, Argentina, some Brazilian influence, and he is an amazing chef. We collaborate with him, Maurice, is his name. So we go there often and, and, you know, support him. There is a couple that we start going more. They do, uh, I think, Lebanese or Mid-Eastern. They have a restaurant called Kebab on Hawthorne. And it's a beautiful restaurant that is very, very empty. You know, there's not many people that goes there because they don't know as much. Right. Yeah. Well, hopefully we can uh, p- push some of our listeners over that way uh, on your recommendation. Yeah, totally. Um, anything else? That, or is that, that a good list? Uh, well, there are so many. I was thinking about a Portland Mercado, for example. I mean, right. that is a, they're all very good, but there is a guy that we became friends. And just because he has this, you know, joy of living life, the, which his name is Fernando. And his name is, I think the card is Fernando Alegria or something. Mm. And he's such a inspiring since the beginning. Like I met him and he has like a now six or seven food cards or place. And people, he was saying like people still don't see him as a successful business owner, you know, although he has seven places or six, and he's striving. You know, people see him as a Latin guy having a food cart. And he yeah. produces amazing food, but most of all, he's a nice guy to talk, someone you want to hug. So I would recommend to go and visit him. Fernando Alegria is his name, but Portland Mercado, you know, it's very nice, yeah. Very nice, Rodrigo. And then, of course, if if, if uh, people want to check out your, your uh, play, places, because you've got the two now, you've got the original. That's the one on Foster, right? The Foster's on the original, yeah. 
Yep, Foster, uh, 5300 Southeast Foster. Uh, you mentioned the new Tabor space. That's right. on Belmont, right? Belmont and 55th. Yeah. And then uh, you mentioned a truck. That that probably just moves around different places, different yeah. events. The Favela Mobile, that we call, goes to yeah. everywhere, everywhere. We did the Portland Night Market. We do festivals and little. They, I mean, I would like to do more festivals. So we, especially now that's getting, you know, the weather's getting better, we start doing more things. Yeah. And then you've got, uh, I noticed that you've got different events going on at different times. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, that, that's what we're thinking. So we do, and we have like a language meetup. So I was just saying like a French meetup, Italian meetup, Portuguese meetup. We do like a knitting, like ladies, they get together, knit together. Mm-hmm. We're starting at the, the new location, open mic, maybe some comedy. And it's funny because it's inside of this church kind of chapel. And then uh, I told the, the people that, you know, the comedy, they're going to curse here. <laughs> like, oh, that's okay so we start doing more live music there i want to put more live music here as well as the summer you know it's coming and the weather with the the roof here it makes such a nice place to be yeah, yeah. we have a bunch of events events Very for nice. kids by the way every first sunday there is an event for kid for kids perfect uh your website is uh favela brazilian cafe.com that's it and instagram the same thing all the social instagram is pretty active favela brazilian cafe i mean that's why we share the latest updates. Yeah, in fact, I, I was aware of, of you guys um, um, I've, for some time now, but it was on Instagram. Um, there, we had some communications going on there, and you popped into my feed. I'm like, you, you've got this great personality, Rodrigo. I, I'm probably not the first person to, to tell you that. So it makes total sense to me that you created a, a foundation about happiness. and no, um, thank you. you you've, uh, I, th- I think you've, you've, you made me happy today and just, just your story and conversation and – we should we should do this again, and maybe yeah. I, I should take you up on the uh, the opportunity to come down soon and get that hug. Totally, totally. And uh, one thing I was going to say with that said, yes, many people have told me about me being the camera and everything. I told my wife, I think one of my dreams is one day to be a, like a little Anthony Bourdain. You know, the oh, there Anthony we Bourdain go. Kid, to travel, meet great people like you, to eat and connect with locals. So yeah. if one day that happens, I, I will let you know. Oh, when awesome. It happened. Awesome. I'll, let's put it into the universe. Yes. Thank you. Appreciate that. Right at the Fork is hosted and produced by Chris Angeles and Court Johnson. Connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Food Podcast PDX or on Facebook at Right at the Fork or online at Right at the Fork.com. Yeah.